Hello and welcome, welcome back in fact to the TCT podcast. I'm TCT Group Head of Content Daniel O'Connor and I'm joined by the editorial team. Hi, I'm Laura, Deputy Group Editor. Hi, I'm Sam, Assistant Editor. It's been a while since we've recorded a podcast, but we return with an exciting series on the pioneers that have helped to shape the industry, the TCT Hall of Famers. On the 26th of September at the TCT Awards in Birmingham, three more people will be introduced into the TCT Hall of Fame. Laura, do you just want to tell us a little bit more about the TCT Hall of Fame? The TCT Hall of Fame was um, started to recognise the leaders in our industry. So last year we inducted five people into the Hall of Fame. This year there's going to be another three. Um, And these were first of all shortlisted by the people in our expert advisory board. um, And now the finals have been voted for by the public. So we're going to be chatting about those people today. Sam, pop quiz, can you remember who was in it last year? <laughs> uh, Scott Crump, Friedman Crane, Chuck Hall, Adrian Bowyer and Hans Langer, I believe. Correct. Very well remembered. <laughs> uh, so we've got, how many being nominated in this year, Laura? So I think we've had six this year. And how many will be inducted into the Hall of Fame? There are going to be three inducted this year. So it's getting harder to get in it. And the reason that we are in the room today, gathered around the microphone, is that uh, I have decided to rip off another popular podcast and ask each of our crap editorial team to come up with a fact on each nominee. So, in no particular order, I'm going to start with a fact from Laura on Professor Phil Dickens. Okay, so Phil Dickens, he's pretty much been at the heart of the UK's AM industry for around three decades, so he knows his stuff. Um, he works at the University of, of Nottingham, um, and he actually helped to produce some of the really early innovations in AM processes. Uh, he was also a consultant as well um, for the um, UK AM Strategy Board, which I'll carry on about in a second. But my fact for Phil today is that um, he was actually published and spoke at the very first TCT 96 conference, and that was all on rapid tooling and a review of the alternatives. Um, and also, can I say a bonus fact for this one as well? You may. Okay, I'm allowed one bonus fact, right? Um, so he was actually in a list that TCT put together um, in 2007 of TCT's top 25 people in the industry. So he was one of those nominated all those years ago, which just shows the significance. However, some other people that have been shortlisted uh, were actually not included in that list, which I don't know what that says about TCT or the industry. Just a note on that. None of us three were here at TCT. That is very true. Complaints that you weren't included in that list should be directed to somebody else. I thought you were going to say none of us were in that list then, Sam. (laughs) How old were you when that list was produced? Uh, I would have been... 12, 13. Okay, that's depressing. Uh, <laughs> I think what's interesting there about Phil yeah. is that you mentioned that his talk at the first TCT was about rapid tooling, yeah. am I right? Mm-hmm. And Phil was a very early pioneer of not just using this for rapid prototyping. Um, I think I wrote an article about casting a couple of years back and I was trying to do some research mm-hmm. about when quick cast was first used. Um, and when I, when I was doing that re- conducting that research, I found an article from the first ever edition of TCT magazine, which was then Rapid News, mm-hmm. 
where Phil was talking about exactly that and how we use that technology for casting. So I think that's what's interesting about Phil. Yeah, and I think, I think it was all the way back in 1994 that um, he did some work which led to a patent for stereolithography, like a build style that's now used for investment casting. So again, he's been talking about st stuff like that for so many years and it's things that, you know, we speak to companies all the time that are only just starting to use that, that, that technology now. So like a lot of people that we're going to be talking about today they were very early adopters and very early pioneers for these types of applications that maybe are not the most sexy i hate saying that word in this industry but it's true but very very <laughs> valuable yeah and he i think he was at uh union of nottingham is that right yes uh, he founded the, the rapid manufacturing research group there and um nottingham is in that kind of region where i think sheffield slightly north and Loughborough somewhere around there as well and these um, sort of universities in the UK are, are really the the pioneers of AM within this you know in this country um, they're all they're all kind of you know really close together there's a real sort of catchment area um, for manufacturers like you know Zar who are they've got the high-speed sensor and they you know they base themselves in Nottingham to get the engineers from you know that area and I think you know these universities have all got uh, courses in AM now, and he's obviously been sort of you know a pioneer of that. He's been right behind that, um, and he also does the UKM strategy, doesn't he? Well, on that, so he's he's part of the the steering group for for AM UK, which has set out the additive manufacturing strategy. I think that was that a year ago now, or was that longer? May, I, don't know. I think it may have been at the last TCT show, wasn't it? They announced that strategy. Yeah, yeah. it was actually. Yeah. But it's pretty much setting out a vision for AM um, in the UK by twenty twenty five. Um, but it turns out that he was he was talking about this all the way in the early nineties, where he said that he actually believes that um, the UK was one of the the best countries alongside the US at exploiting rapid prototyping. And the reason why he was so interested in working on this strategy is that he believes that we can do that again, but with additive manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just a really great thing to have yeah. someone in the UK who really believes that the technology can do that. That's very well deserved yeah. to be on it's, this list. It's traditionally quite an industrial country. But yeah. There's still quite a, a decent automotive presence. Um, it's not Jaguar Land Rover, um, one of them. Um, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. Um, so there is, you would hope, you know, a real kind of sort of space for AM in this country to be to be properly applied. Mm -hmm. And on that topic, let's go on to our next person, who I'm going to ask Sam for a fact on Graham Tromans. Okay, so Graham Tromans um, is obviously a um, industry consultant. He's famously worked at Jaguar Land Rover. Um, he, he consults, you know, from North America across to Asia. He's a regular speaker at our trade shows um, and conferences. Um, and my fact for Graham is that he purchased um, what we believe is the first SLA machine in the UK while he was at Jaguar Land Rover, which really helped kickstart the the rapid prototyping within the automotive industry. And I don't think it'd be too much of a stretch to say other vertical markets as well. Um, he also set up Land Rover's RP facility, advised on Jaguar Car's RP facility, and you know those are still you know in action today. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover's got loads of SLA machines, few SLS machines as well now, and you know rapid prototyping is probably the biggest application within all of the industries, but especially so in, in automotive. I think it'd be fair to suggest that Graham 
played a massive part in the whole SLA process being taken off because from stories he's told me in the past, he mm. that technology was had teething problems, let's mm. say, and it was in its infancy. And I think Graham helped 3D Systems improve that technology by being exacting on what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, just overall with Graham as well, he's been he's such a good resource like for knowledge and so many people every year flock to go watch him present yeah. and you just you know, it's he's he's talking about you know, the basics of the technology but people still just, just mm-hmm. continue to come to come to watch him because he's just he's got so much knowledge on, on the industry. It's yeah. just he's just such a great figure to have. And on him being a good resource, he doesn't beat around the bush. If you see no. something that he's not impressed with, just he say, well, will tell you. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's good for that to kind of keep you in check yeah. and not get carried away, which is so easy when you go to a trade show. Yeah. You see something that's really exciting, and or you see something that you don't think is exciting, and I'll say, well, actually, this is why it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most useful things I've ever done is walk around a trade show with him, asking yeah. him, "Is this good? Is this good? Is this good, Gray? Is this good, Gray?" And he'll always tell you why it's good. I think one of the things he told me once was to when you see a part on a stand always question how well it was orientated mm. because that can the build quality might be fantastic in one orientation it might fall apart and the others Graham's always taught us I think to question everything that we see in a good mm-hmm. way yeah. one thing I really like about Graham when you go to a trade show is um, how popular he is I think Graham is the only person that I have ever walked around a trade show with who has been asked for a photo of, and I've seen it happen at least five times. <laughs> Selfies with Graham. Selfies with Graham. I think we should start a uh, booth at TGT <laughs> specifically for that. Okay. It's also worth mentioning as well, um, before we move on, that um, he's chief consultant to the Chinese 3D Printing Technology Alliance, which I think we'll see the, you know, the fruits of that further along the line, but we all know, having been to TCA Asia, what a massive market China is for this technology and you know he's the chief consultant yeah. for an alliance focused on that country okay so we'll move on to our next person and our next fact which is my fact on uh, Carl Deckard Carl was the inventor of selective laser sintering while he was at the University of Texas we all call it SLS and I think a really interesting fact about when he was inventing it is that he used a Commodore 64 to control that first ever machine which was then later called Betsy and in that machine, he uh, laid up the powder by hand, but he managed to make a part of it. And I think the Commodore 64 bit is my favourite bit because I think of a Commodore 64 as a games console that I played when in my infancy and really shaped how I loved computer games. <laughs> uh, would you say that Carl's work is as important as anyone's, but? Carl's not as well known. Would you be fair to say that, Laura? I, I think so. Yeah, and I think because when I think of the the main people, he's definitely, definitely the you know one of the, the the inventors. And I remember I went to a talk a couple of years ago now. I think it, I think it was at Amog, and um, it, was, it was quite a casual chat really, and that was nice to hear him in a setting like that because you don't often see him like on on stage really. So that that was good to hear. And he was just talking about how he how he got into inventing and he, he said something um, along the lines of you know as a kid most people um, love sports stars or like uh, pop stars that kind of thing whereas he just always idolised inventors and I think yeah it's, it's so cool to see that hear him say things like that and then actually you know see him shortlisted in, in a list like this amongst other inventors in the industry. What's your perception of Carl 
Sam, did you know about him until? I, I, I obviously heard his name around the office, um, and obviously I've never, I've never met him. I don't think I've ever seen him talk or anything like that. Um, but obviously SLS is, you know, one of the main processes used um, in industry, uh, and I know the the five people who went into the Hall of Fame last year were obviously worthy and deserving. But I feel like as a, another inventor of one of the main processes, he can sort of count himself very unlucky not to have been in that five. I think he was in the shortlist, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing I read about him earlier was that he obviously sold. Um, the DTM Corporation 17 years ago, whatever it was. Um, but recently he's now set up Structured Polymers, which is a materials company. And you know the importance of that is that materials is one of the barriers um, for 3D printing to really take off as a sort of volume manufacturing tool. And even though he, you know, he could get in on the SLS invention alone, but he's also now looking to really, you know, build on that and design and develop materials specifically for that process. I think that's, um, that's such an important point because mm. you know so much of this, this industry you know everyone everyone talks about the hardware because obviously it's really interesting and yeah. it's always nice to see a flashy piece of hardware but people are putting so much attention now onto materials mm-hmm. and it is great to think that someone like that who's got such a such knowledge on that particular process is actually putting all of his work into the materials side of things. Yeah definitely. I think it's important to note actually that you know a lot of the people in the Hall of Fame who've been nominated or in la- or in last years, they're all still working in the industry. It's, yeah. uh, I think that goes to show, still goes to show how young this industry is. Although we often will say, TC, uh, sorry, rapid prototyping and three D printing has been around since the eighties. In terms of other manufacturing processes, that's really not that long. No. Yeah. The fact that the likes of Carl and the likes of Scott and the likes of Chuck are still innovating in this industry proves to me how young it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of them are still so close to it as well. You know, some of the ones last year, like you do speak to people um, like Chuck, and he still he still works so closely with the teams actually doing the engineering, yeah. and he's still very much and much hands on and all that. Exactly, well, yeah. yeah. Okay, so moving on to our next person, and I think that is a lo- fact from Laura about Todd Grimm. So, um, Todd, like a few other people on this list, have actually been in this industry for three decades, so he's a real veteran of the industry. Everybody knows who he is. If you've read our magazine before, which if you listen to this podcast, I'd like to think you have, or if you've been to one of our TCT events, you will have seen Todd speak or you'll have read um, one of his columns. And he's just got a really great way of presenting the challenges and advising people on, on how to make the best choices um, about additive manufacturing. Um, and I didn't realise that Todd had actually written um, a book all the way back in 2006, quite early on really for, for um, the industry, um, which, which was the user's guide to rapid prototyping. And he says that he wrote that to um, create greater awareness and understanding of rapid prototyping technologies. Todd is all about bringing in expectations, you know, um, he, he talks about the things that you know, if you come into the industry quite excited, you might not necessarily think about because you, you, it's quite easy to go to an event and become quite overwhelmed by the amount of new technologies and different processes. And it's all it's all very exciting and it should be exciting. But at the same time, you do have to think about the practicalities and how that does actually apply to the applications that you're looking at. Um, and in this book, he, he pretty much says that. So he 
basically says that this industry, you can look at it um, in one or two ways, and cannabis look at it in both of these ways. Um, so on one side, AM, it's amazing, it's better, faster, cheaper, and then on the other side, there might be a thousand reasons why you shouldn't use it for your particular application. And I just think that Todd's a really great person for, um, for highlighting that kind of stuff because it is difficult to cut through a lot of the noise in this industry and mm -hmm. it's, it's great to have somebody like Todd who you can just go to and say, you know, what do you think of this? Or, you know, even someone, because every year um, Todd, whether it's at, um, usually at AMUG actually, he will give a roundup of the new technologies that come out in the industry. And he's, he's not given a massive description of, of each of these technologies, but he gives you a basic, a basic understanding of all of them and kind of just helps you to helps you to kind of pick out the things that you know you should be looking at and that are relevant to you. So I think Todd's a, a really good one for this. And of course, he's a TCT staple, so <laughs> we've got to have him in this really. <laughs> yeah, I think he's at once uh, an evangelist of the technology, and I hate to use that word. I hate that word. Context. That sounds negative in a 3D printing context, but I think you are right for Todd. Okay, champion. Champion, Of the yeah. technology. Um, but he's also a realist. He doesn't, you know... Uh, same with Graham, he'll tell you when you know he doesn't, he's not impressed with something, mm. um, but he'll tell you twice if he is impressed with something. Um, obviously, he's you know he's been on many TCT product coverage in the magazine or through our shows, um, and you know he is he knows his stuff, he knows what he's on about. He can reel off facts about any machine you want um, at the drop of a hat. Um, you know he's he's also really engaged, and so um, you know as we've all noticed I'm sure you know if it's an early morning uh, presentation or even you know right at the end of the day he's on his game and you know he really does capture the audience mm -hmm. and you know everybody I would hope learn something from it. I, I think you'd be forgiven in suggesting that he was uh, professionally trained on stage yeah. well I don't think he is I think he's <laughs> just got a, an amazing natural presence on stage yeah. I think to the earlier points what that Laura made one of the first talks I ever seen him give was uh, on embracing the mundane and it's really stayed with me that because at the time I was probably a, a little whippersnapper in the industry <laughs> and I was interested in the 3D printing of cars or the 3D printing of houses or anything like that and Todd did this talk on embrace the mundane about 3D printing jigs and fixtures and it was just something I'd never even given a second thought to mm. And I, I still think there are plenty of industries out there who don't think about doing those kind mm -hmm. of things. Yeah. But the cost savings in tooling jigs and fixtures and 3D printing are immeasurable. Yeah. The time savings are immeasurable. I just think that it's a uh, it's an undervalued topic and it was great to see a keynote presentation yeah. on TCT stage mm -hmm. where Todd was yeah. championing that, to use your phrase, mm -hmm. Sam. Yeah, and on, on jigs and fixtures, I think you know it is a real... I feel like every manufacturer could do with applying 3D printing in this way. They can have a small desktop FDM wherever they want it. It can be right on the factory floor, it can be in an office and you know, it's, it's quick and easy. It doesn't have to be, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. It can be used roughly as anything as long as it functions the way it should. And a lot of these people on our list have, have all been talking about these things way before they've become these mainstream ideas. Because you know, in one of the recent issues of our magazine, we covered um, jigs and fixtures, and you know, you do hear a lot more of it now. But even back to back to people like Phil, I mean, he was presenting on um, Robert Toulon all the way back in 1996. Mm -hmm. So there's these people really, really 
could see early on the yeah. value that these technologies would have in these spaces that mm-hmm. they're not really exciting they might not take good pictures but they're so useful and they're making such a huge difference yeah i think that's a important part about being in the hall of fame tz <laughs> hall of fame you have had to have applied this technology well not necessarily because a lot of our tz hall of famers are just inventors you have to know how to apply it or know where it should be applied mm-hmm. you don't have to necessarily have done it but to have the vision and that is something that Todd is a massive expert in. He knows where that technology should be applied in your business. And uh, I don't want to just do a big promo for his uh, consultancy services. <laughs> but if I was a business and I had a part and I listened to Todd speak, I would be getting him in and asking him where additive manufacturing could be applied in my process chain. But I imagine Todd's one of those people that always gets that question, oh, what 3D printer should I buy? How annoying must that be to someone like Todd? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially someone with such in-depth knowledge of every single machine out there. Yeah. Those, um, I think it's at Rapid, is it? The technology roundups he does are yeah. just like mind-boggling. 100 machines, every single one he does. I don't know how yeah. he remembers every single one of them. And he doesn't look at the presentation no. once. He's yeah, making eye contact with the audience and doing it from memory. I've tried to pick Todd's brain, brain a few times about uh, stage presence and uh, I've never quite mastered his... Uh, I think it might be natural. I don't think you can be <laughs> Are you suggesting that I am not natural, Sam? Yeah. No, no, I'll take the silence as, as a yes. <laughs> okay, let's uh, move on to our next fact and our next nominee, which is uh, Greg Morris. Yeah, so uh, Greg Morris uh, was the founder of Morris Technologies, which incidentally was founded the same year as I was born. Um, yeah, way to make us all feel old. Yeah, nineteen ninety four. Um, Just and move it in further, whatever. Yeah, um, he, uh, you know, they became one of the leading uh, providers of AM services, um, and in twenty twelve they were acquired by their long term partner G Aviation. Um, and my fact on Greg Morris is that he purchased the first DMLS machine from EOS or EOS in two thousand and three in North America. And the reason I believe that's so important is because when uh, G Aviation, uh, a few years down the line, uh, sort of released to market this idea of 3D printing the leap fuel nozzles, um, they, they mentioned that they had a, a five-year head start on their competitors. And I think that had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, 10 years previously, Morris had the, the sort of the goal, the, you know, that in him to take the risk on a metal technology back then, you know, obviously a new thing, people weren't manufacturing with it, manufacturing with it, sorry, and, you know, he took that risk. They, you know, reaped the rewards um, when they first introduced the leap fuel nozzle, but then on various other components since, I think they've got about 1,000 projects in progress, they reckon they've got 50,000 AM parts in the field, um, you know. They're, they're one of the biggest users at this point of the technology, I would think. Mm-hmm. Well, GE Aviation, and I think they are GE Additive's biggest customer. Yeah, they definitely are. Morris actually gave a talk at AMUG where he was basically making that point and had application after application of where they're using this technology. And obviously now GE Additive you know, took on Concept Laser and Arcam. Um, I think they've got a software company, the name escapes me as well. Um, and, you know, They've, they've got the sort of platform now to become, you know, one of the leading vendors as well as one of the leading users. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can only mean good things for the industry. We've got a massive company like GE, first of all, being an advocate of using it, and second of all, seeing an opportunity to really make some money. 
in the industry? I think one of my first conversations outside of these four walls was with a US service bureau called Encodema, or Encodema, I don't know how you pronounce it, sorry. Uh, and they were, they were talking to me, it was 2013, and they talked to me about how the acquisition of Morris Technologies had pretty much wiped out the capacity of metal additive manufacturing in a service bureau capacity in the US, and their strategy was to buy another machine. And what I wonder is whether via that acquisition at the time a secondary thing that happened on the back of that yeah. is that the likes of Renishaw and the likes of SLM Solutions and the likes of EOS and Concept Laser whether their sales went up because people realised that Morris Technologies no longer had a monopoly over the additive manufacturing of metals, mm. whether their sales went up through different service bureaus because not only are GE validating it by buying that technology but people are realising that oh actually this technology does work let's use it and see how we can apply it and we can make money off it mm -hmm. which at the end of the day is the yeah. be all and end all of this industry of every, every industry yeah that's true <laughs> and just as a more general point on that I just don't think any of us can deny just the, the power of that leak fuel nozzle really everyone has seen it it's always used as the example I was guilty of using it this year in a an aerospace feature I can't stop mentioning it and nobody can because it's still the ultimate perfect example of additive being used in a real application in industrial setting like that mm -hmm. and so I, th I think for that just for that alone really it deserves yeah. place I, in this list I think it kind of done away with that like 3D printing needs a killer application talk because yeah. that is a killer application yeah. mm -hmm. and I very much doubt whether you've ever been to a conference about yeah. 3D printing and not seen it in at least one presentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, be it became the post child, like you mentioned in your automotive feature on BMW in the last issue that every company is now looking for. And actually, I spoke to somebody from Materialize who made the same point. Who deals with manufacturers every day, and it's it's kind of the breakthrough for every company that most companies haven't had yet. But once they once they hit that application, it opens up the doors. They can then look at how they can leverage that process and you know, start, start doing it all over the place within an engine or wherever it might be. I'd imagine the trickle down effect as well from the fact that it is an aerospace part mm. being the first series production part should be massive Yeah. because if aerospace are qualifying it through all of the qualifications and all the documentation yeah. they have to go through then anyone else could use it, all other industry could use it easily. Mm -hmm. yeah. a, a question I wonder, and we'll have to ask Greg this one day, <laughs> is um, whether I wonder what the engineers at GE how much they knew of the process when they bought that first that's the SLM machine that you mentioned yeah. like that's a perfect part that is designed for additive manufacturing and it's part consolidation and it's topologically optimised but yeah. how much did they know at the start I wonder how much trial and error did they go through I think you said there you? was 10 years of experimentation so there must have been a fair bit of trial and error <laughs> you would think um, but I, that would be interesting to know. But I mean, the end result—you know—it doesn't matter how long it took. It was still it, ten years on from when they began. It was still a huge uh, application. Uh, it's got all of the benefits that you know three D printing can produce in terms of the lightweighting, the you know extra durability, um, consolidating a number of parts down to one single component. Um, yeah, it's it, 
deservedly, I would say, you know, mentioned at every conference. And you know, the first example you think of when you put forward a, a possible application that can be volume manufactured. I think we could go on about uh, the leak fuel nozzle for another three podcasts, so uh, I'll move it on to our next fact and our final one, our final nominee is Ellie Sachs. Ellie is the co-founder of Desktop Metal as well as being the inventor of binder jetting, the binder jetting process and my fact about Ellie is that he coined the term 3D printing by the virtue of the fact that he called his first patent three-dimensional printing. And the reason he did that is interesting because I think I'm right in saying that his colleagues weren't so sure about that term, but his father worked in publishing and he'd seen a printing press and he wondered if that they could get to one day to that kind of size of manufacture. Yeah. Imagine being that wrong about that. Yeah. Like the guy that didn't sign the Beatles. <laughs> Although the term, you know, is very right. It's, especially from our point of view, you know, if you throw 3D printing in the headline, the, the SEO you get off that is, is great. So we have to thank uh, Ellie or Ellie's father for giving us <laughs> that term. I think what's interesting is that his technology, like everybody we've mentioned today, yeah is he wasn't looking at that from a very small, like, oh, this can rapid prototype some parts. He was looking at that from the bigger picture of, you know, well, I want to cast these materials, I want to print ceramics, I want to print metals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he was probably, a, I'd say, ahead of his time mm -hmm. in that ratio, in that aspect, because mm -hmm. what Ellie wanted to do, the technology for inkjet wasn't there at the time. And now, that he's working at desktop metal, uh, his technology is finally kind of seeing its potential lived through with the fact that we can, you know, deposit a million droplets at one time yeah. Yeah. rather than a couple of, you know, a hundred or so, wherever it was back in those days. Yeah. Well, we were chatting earlier today with Sam and we made the good point that last year's Hall of Fame was all the people that kind of, the, the main inventors, and this is like that second wave of, in, of inventors. Mm -hmm. So yeah, with, with a company that obviously won our Rising Star Award last year, and the reason for that is because it has such serious potential to become one of the major players in in the metal three D printing sector, all the money behind it. Um, you know, you've obviously visited their headquarters down and seen it for yourself. You know, so is Laura. Oh, have you? I haven't. Oh, sorry, the only well, one I'm one <laughs> You're the only one who hasn't. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's interesting that his technology, you know, it's been a staple of the industry. It's not not, it's just it's not been sat there dormant for all this time. Yeah. Zcorp were probably one of the biggest companies, most well known companies until three D systems acquired them, and X One used that kind of technology as well. It's not a, it it's not been dormant. It's just that now it's kind of living up to the potential, I think probably his vision that he saw back in the early days at MIT. And this is why I think the Hall of Fame is, is so important because it, it highlights people like that, that maybe, you know, we, we know the obvious technologies, the ones that we talk about all the time, but we're, we're, we're highlighting the people that had these inventions, mm. you know, all those years ago, and now it's finally, you know, it's, it's finally actually been used in, in, in a real life setting. So yeah. I think this is going to be a good opportunity to... I think that's the problem with being an inventor is that we're inventive or we're remembered in, 
you might not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but obviously, that that isn't the case in this industry because of something like the the TCT Hall of Fame. I mean, I don't know whether we've mentioned it already, but it's interesting to see that all of these people are still in the industry. Yeah. yeah. They're still very active in the industry mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah, the ones from last year. I mean, everyone is still so hands on and so passionate as well. I remember back to just some of the um, the speeches from last year, and they still care about the technology so much. And that's exactly the same with yeah. with um, this group this year, where people have been in the industry for three decades, almost as long as the technology has has been in existence. And it's great to see that they still just continue to innovate. Yeah, because although most of them are, you know, sorry to say, obviously in the twilight of their careers. Sam, um, you keep saying people are the, old. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the the job isn't finished, if you like. like. There's still so far to go in terms of, you know, developing the technology, applying the technology, all of the, the products that go around the technology, the materials, the software, post-processing. And it's, you know, it's a good thing that these guys are still in the industry because, you know, there's still a lot of them to do. Mm-hmm. So, crack on. I think that kind of sums them all up quite nicely and mm-hmm. um, so we will be revealing the first inductee on the 15th of august mm-hmm. the second on the 22nd and the third on the 29th of august uh, and that's in the lead up to the tct awards which is when laura happening on the 26th of september and that's right in the middle of tct show so tct show is the 25th to the 27th and the awards is on the wednesday evening and where can you get tickets for the awards sam uh i believe that is at uh um potentially forward slash tickets but just go to the home page and google like an old person yeah. yeah navigate yourself it's a very nice looking website so it shouldn't be too difficult and there is information about all of the nominees up there and about the process that we went through to include those people and about the expert advisory board all the information is on there and i think that's a wrap thanks for downloading thanks for listening and make sure you check in next week when we will be speaking to 2018's first inductee to the tct hall of fame You can download it wherever you get your podcasts.